Now, looking instead of east, let us look to the west and to the remnants of the ancient vista at Jerusalem. Somewhere near the place of the fig tree, Jesus instructed his followers to find a man who would provide them a foal. They then put upon it robes, perhaps royal appearing robes, and again in fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy, the son of David, not so recognized yet, rode on the foal down this very mountain and onto eventually the Temple Mount. Now, estimates are that during this last Passover in Jesus' life, there were over 30,000 Galileans who came up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Many of them would have apparently accompanied him down the Jordan Rift, up from Jericho, and to this place. And it is likely they, and not representatives, officialdom representatives, whether Roman or Jewish, who would have begun the acclamations. But they spread palm leaves, and you can still see palm trees in this vicinity. We know that the entire mount was far more richly forested then. And many of them cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They were sometimes rebuked, and Jesus said quietly, if they did not, the very rocks would cry out. Now, whether he fully accepted this ascription of royalty to himself or not, he knew what they only vaguely knew, that he was the Messiah, the royal Messiah, and that his hour had come. What does Hosanna mean? We know from the ancient Hebrew and from modern teaching. Oh, save us. Oh, save us. It is an acclamation. It is an invocation. It is a prayer of dedication, both of the persons crying out and of those who echo. And it is a shout. We are taught that when one begins to comprehend on sacred occasions what it means to reach for the Lord, that we are to give the top of our voice, the top of our lungs, as we say, and the bottom of our heart to this shout. When Lorenzo Snow instructed the children at the laying of the capstone of the Salt Lake Temple, he said to them, children, in effect, give it all you have, for this is the shout with which you will welcome the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The loudest shout recorded of Jesus when he was among men is the loud voice that said, Lazarus, come forth. And again, that paradox, that act of giving life became the sealing of his own doom 
and the preface to his own death. The loudest shout of the multitudes who harassed him in the presence of Pilate was crucify him. Now, if you look to the south where I'm pointing, you see a place on that hill surrounded by a grove of trees and a flagpole in front. That's known traditionally as the place of evil counsel. That's the headquarters today of the United Nations, a world organization still struggling and failing to keep peace. It was there, according to tradition, that Judas made his bargain, promising to lead the authorities to the place of Jesus' hiding. He knew that he often abode in or near the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, look just a little west of that. There, some scholars think, the Sanhedrin met to deliberate on the case of Jesus. There are scholars who say the Sanhedrin was a loosely organized group of authorities who, being as they were under the Roman thumb, were corrupt, and that may account for the haste and the illegality that attended the verdict. In any case, there were present in that group who condemned Jesus two men who later, at least and perhaps secretly earlier, gave their hearts to Jesus. Remember Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night so he would not be detected to learn from Jesus about rebirth. And the other was Joseph of Arimathea, who later provided the tomb from which Jesus himself was reborn. Now, to the far west, due west of us, you see that tower uh, which is on Mount Zion. And today, what you see is the Domitian Abbey, a Greek Orthodox church. In that region, to the extreme west of what was the old city and near the west wall, was the place of Herod's palace. It is likely there, in the presence of Pilate, that Jesus was blindfolded, mocked, spit upon, and perhaps if the prophecy of Isaiah came to pass, literally, even scarred as his enemies pulled the hair from his beard. Now look over to the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. That is the place long since destroyed by the campaign of Titus, the place where the Antonia Fortress was. From those four towers, the guards looked down onto the multitudes that were assembling on the Temple Mount. 
Now to the far left, outside the present wall to the south, you see a church with a dome, and it's on the shoulder, as it were, of Mount Zion, south and east. That's called Caiaphas Palace. Cannot be proved that that was in fact the place, but there are steps that lead up the hill to the Caiaphas Palace that are known to be authentic, that is, to go back to Roman times, the time of Jesus, and there is, to this day, a dungeon, deep stone dungeon, which evokes the kind of imprisonment Jesus would have experienced. Now, whether any of those sites are authentic, we're sure that to two of them, Jesus was brought, one place for scourging and the other for the condemnation leading to his crucifixion. A word now while we're here overlooking the city about the illegalities in the trial. The father of law of Caiaphas, and the New Testament says he was the uh, high priest that year, implying that it was an annual assignment. In fact, he was the high priest for a total of 18 years. And Jesus is brought to Caiaphas, who was apparently wealthy, and Edersheim says he was unscrupulous and fully submissive to Rome. He was also a Sadducee, and that meant he did not believe in the resurrection and would not have favored the rumors that Jesus had said of himself, I am the resurrection. He, as we will shortly describe, condemns Jesus. Pilate, the Roman governor who had come up from Caesarea, acting as the procurator of Judea, and assigned to oversee the Passover feast because it was the time of the worst disturbances and the possibilities of mob action. Herod had befriended Pilate. Herod himself was both curious about and full of apprehension about Jesus. And Jesus uses a word for him like unto no other word for human beings. He speaks of him as that fox. While Jesus was arrested at night, which is not legal, he had a private examination before Caiaphas, which makes Caiaphas the sole judge, which is not legal. He was indicted or accused without legal accusers, though many came forward to make charges. If the Sanhedrin met according to gospel accounts, they met at night and reached a decision at night, which is illegal, and before the offering of the morning sacrifice. Moreover, this was the day before Shabbat and was the first day of what was known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which later was known as the Feast of Passover. Further, and perhaps more importantly, Jesus was convicted by what could be called an uncorroborated confession. He said, according to the Gospels, I am 
That's in Mark. In the Joseph Smith translation, six words. I am even as thou sayest. Now this was said before Pilate, who had asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? In other versions, he simply says, Thou sayest, which can be interpreted to mean, You said it, I didn't. Or it can be taken to mean, You said, and what you said really is the truth. In the retranslation by Joseph Smith, Jesus' answer is unequivocal. I am, even as thou sayest. Jewish law requires that at least one person present must defend the culprit. This, according to the Mishnah account of how the Sanhedrin proceeded. But the verdict was rendered and no defense was given, and in fact, Jesus, standing before Herod, himself answered nothing. So what, we can ask today, really was the charge that led to Jesus' death? And whatever can be said about the real and secret reasons, the answer comes down over long tradition to three different things. First, Jesus had said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it. His hearers took him to mean the stone-on-stone stone Herodian temple. Well, the temple to the Jews was the most sacred building. And from the religious point of view, that statement was blasphemous. Thirty years later, we now know another Jesus son of Ananias was condemned to death for saying or prophesying that God would destroy the temple. He was later released because he was deemed insane. But from another point of view, this statement of Jesus about the temple was a challenge because 20%, some estimates say, of the economy of Jerusalem depended upon the temple. Second, Jesus claimed to be king. And a king not as sometimes interpreted of solely or utterly spiritual dominion. He claimed to be and to become the king of all kings, spiritual and temporal. Politically, those are dangerous words. Troublesome? To those who wore the crowns. Rome was thought to be the sole dominant authority, and now this man had many following him. That should not be underestimated. One account says many believed who had never believed before after the raising of Lazarus. Another phrase says that there were among the chief scribes and elders, and even among the Pharisees some who believed. And another says that when the raising of Lazarus was discussed among the officials, they said, the whole world, and that's obviously hyperbole, is going after him. That was troublesome. But now third, Jesus had said and implied more than once 
that he had power to forgive sins. He also said that the time would come when he would ascend, and this he spoke on the Temple Mount. He would ascend to where he was before and then bring the kingdom of God. And finally, he said and implied that the judgment of God upon all men would depend upon how they received him, Jesus. These are the claims that reached to the very core of the legalism in Caiaphas, who smote himself, who tore his garments in an ancient symbolic gesture and said, what more do we need to hear? He has condemned himself in his own mouth. And so when the moment came that Pilate offered to release him, though condemned, the cry of the multitude was, crucify him. And then even the statement, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Now, this was not a malediction or prophecy per se. This was their version of a gesture that has lived to our time when trying to testify or make clear our veracity. We say, cross my heart and hope to die. It was a symbolic way of saying he deserves to be crucified, and we are witnesses that he is. After 2,000 years, the verdict of the generations is that on the one hand, the law justified both Roman and official Jewish condemnation. At the same time, it is acknowledged in answer to the question, did he deserve to die? Probably not. Here were people who at that very hour were celebrating that the power of God had enabled them to cross the Red Sea to redemption who could not then or later see any redemption in the red cross. Jesus, in the hour of his betrayal and arrest, had healed the ear of the Roman soldier, an ear cut off by Peter's precipitate act with the sword. I testify that in due time the blood shed in Gethsemane and on the cross will reach to the redemption even of those who on that day cried for the death of the Christ. Now, I have brought you here in the hot sun to look east as we now can over the east side of the Mount of Olives and down and over into the 
Judean desert. Now, remember, if Jesus knelt anywhere on the side of the Mount of Olives, and the record says he did, and it was at night, and so it was, and he was alone because his disciples were asleep, and they were, then all he needed to do to avoid the arrest, the betrayal, the confining, the torment, and finally the crucifixion was to walk perhaps these steps that we have walked, perhaps no more than 500 steps from the garden right out there into the desert. He would have disappeared in the night. No one, not even those who had been with him, who were heavy in slumber after the full Passover meal, would know where he was. Many have supposed that what he did in Gethsemane through that night was essentially struggle with whether he would or would not submit to the authorities. That, no doubt, was part, but it was an infinitesimal part compared to the load that came down upon him and permeated him. He had made that decision after crying out, let this cup pass, when he said and meant, nevertheless, thy will be done. To me, the most poignant insight of standing here is to recognize that he performed what he requires of us. He requires that we endure to the end. No one in world history has endured so much for so long for so many.